after millenniums of mankind, uh, excuse me, people kind, celebrating and fighting for humanity, we have finally turned the corner as Western society into a new enlightened era. Just to think, oh, just to think that for thousands of years, hundreds upon hundreds of generations have been celebrating the new birth of their children or the prosperity of their communities. Imagine those archaic societies that used to fight and strive for the survival of humanity, that actually thought that mankind, uh, excuse me, humankind, was something special. Like it is different or special that we can talk, communicate, invent, engineer, write, tell stories. <laughs> oh, the foolishness to think that at one point we were so stupid to think that we had a soul or a spirit or were any different than mammals, reptiles, rodents, or even the insects around us. No, 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 no. That time of foolish thinking has passed, and the collective mind of humanity is awakening to the new and old, undisputed truth that we are, in fact, the plague to nature, that our very existence is immoral, so immoral, in fact, that we have come to the enlightened mind that there are no such thing as morals or virtues or values or standards, that all of that is just the patriarchal, tyrannical, colonial, oppressive tool designed to oppress and enslave you, to strive for excellence, purity, virtue, which, as we have come to know, are the most abased things in society. Even, even society itself, that is just a facade. As inflation begins to wipe out savings and businesses and homes across the globe, we are only now beginning to learn and see that that really is a good thing. After all, isn't global poverty a good and virtuous thing to strive for? Just imagine, imagine a world where we're all starving, not just some people. Imagine a world where we had no cars or electricity and we were, and we were forced to live off the land. Nature would finally have a time to heal and without modern medicine or even antibiotics, the global population would plummet in no time. And so we can thank the Fed and Biden for making America and the world a morally, more morally just place. Not that we believe in morals or justice, but you know, you see, people not being able to afford to eat or put gas in their cars or make their rent payments or are losing their retirements, those things ought to be welcomed and embraced. Now, not all the world has come to this enlightened state that America has come to. So what about those backwards countries that think that work ethic and growing their family and providing for their children and their grandchildren? What about those countries that are so filled with hate and backwards thinking that they refuse to let Disney, Disney, they refuse to let Disney indoctrinate their young children, their youth with their LGBTQIAS2 LMNOP QRSUV plus agenda. Oh, 
Oh, oh, oh. Those nations that are teaching their children that there are only two genders. Those nations that are refusing to show five-year-olds lesbians kissing in cartoons on screens. Oh, those horrible nations that say that abortion is murder. And they outlaw it in their land. What about those backwards nations? Don't worry. Don't worry. They're going to get what's coming to them. Their kids are going to be more well-adjusted. Their land will be blessed. Their economies will grow. Their societies will be strong and healthy. Their families will have strong family bonds. They will prosper because they are holding on to a few simple moral values and biological facts. But now, see, we know that prosperity, we've come to the enlightened stage that we know that prosperity is a bad thing and being poor is oh so virtuous. Healthy families are merely a cloak of oppression because the family unit, it's just tyrannical patriarchy under the guise of something nice and pretty. And being happy, who needs being happy? Don't worry, those nations will get the happiness and prosperity that are coming to them. Just, just you wait and see. But us, us enlightened ones, us who really know how the world ought to be, how humanity ought to be or ought not be, period, we will disintegrate into angst and anger and despair and poverty, and thereby we will reach the pinnacle of our enlightenment, which is to realize that there is no such thing as enlightenment at all. No such thing as morality, no such thing as values or standards or anything that we ought to strive for, as it really would be best if reality and the entire universe never existed in the first place. Hey, it's Lucas Grobot, and you're listening to The Lucas Grobot Show, where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Episode 287. It is June 16th, 2022. And uh, the global stock markets are disintegrating as we know it. Uh, POTUS, president of the United States, is making waves. Earlier, he stated that he was not going to have strong ties or negotiate with Saudi Arabia. But now it looks like in about a week or two, he's going to get on a plane to go to Saudi he says it's for other reasons, but a lot of people, I think we all know, it's to beg for there to be some reprieve into the inflation that he caused. Do you remember? Do you remember back when he became president in 2001? One of the first things that President Joe Biden did as president was to sign an executive order to cancel the Keystone XL pipeline, which was going to pump millions and millions of gallons into America from the Arctic every day. But he canceled that pipeline. Now, there are, of course, some critics that say, well, the the pipeline has nothing to do with the gas shortage that we're experiencing right now. It has nothing to do with the inflation that we're seeing right now. this, This has nothing to do with economic policies. It wasn't it wasn't until just a few moments ago that Many in the administration and even the Federal Reserve even were willing to accept that inflation was coming. But I mean, we've been talking about it here for over a year now. Many other people have been talking about inflation for months now. So this is nothing new. 
This is nothing new. Here is a brilliant little cut up by the Washington Post of a before and after of President Joe Biden and uh, other players in the Fed commenting on how they really don't believe that inflation is going to be coming. Our experts believe, and the data shows, that most of the price increases we've seen are, were expected and are expected to be temporary. There's nobody suggesting there's unchecked inflation on the way. No serious economist. I want every American to know that I'm taking inflation uh, very seriously, and it's my top domestic priority. Now, that was in just a couple days ago. Now, here is Yellen from the chair of the Fed. There a risk of inflation. Treasury Secretary. Um, I, I think there's a small risk, and I think it's manageable. That was back March 14th, 2021. I believe it's transitory, but I don't mean to suggest that these pressures will disappear in the next month or two. That's October 12th, 2021, and here it is, May 31st, 2022. I think I was wrong then about um, the path that inflation um, would take. I really do. At, At least she's willing to admit that she was wrong. Many people won't even go that far to say, ah, I was wrong. I missed it. I got it wrong. They, they go on pretending as if they had it right the whole time. Here is uh, the Federal Reserve Bank. Do not Powell. expect that we'll be in a situation where inflation rises to trouble, troubling levels. Inflation is likely to take longer to return to our price stability goal than previously expected. We believe it's temporary. Here's a com- Commerce of Secretary, Gina. I'm hopeful with a little bit of time with the investments that Congress has to make in workforce, in manufacturing, in infrastructure, we will be able to keep a lid on inflation. So clearly we are and Americans are struggling with inflation. I still think, uh, you know, we will get inflation under control. We just have to stick with it and see it through. See what through? See infrastructure? See the Green New Deal through? Is that what we need to see through? to see more, uh, more money being printed, as if we think that money being printed and the velocity of money in society has nothing to do with the inflation that we're seeing or that the monetary policies that are in place have anything to do with the inflation that we're seeing. See what through? What does Congress and the Senate need to put through? The Green New Deal, that's the answer. The Green New Deal is the solution to inflation. Where are you gonna get that money? Oh, you're gonna print it. What is that going to do? It's going to cause more inflation. So it's a, it's a bad look. It's a bad deal. Uh, apparently, just now, the U.S. government is coming into tune that there is a problem with inflation. We've been saying it here. And again, I, I actually, I do not think that we're going to see like the Weimar Republic where inflation just is going absolutely berserk, growing 30%, 40% every month or even every day as used to be. I think we're, and many other economists think that as the feds begin to raise interest rates, it will actually send us into a repression and a lost decade, much like Japan, where there was massive, massive inflation taking place across Japan in the late 80s, early 90s. You, uh, 10 square meters in downtown Tokyo would be selling for $300,000. 
And then the bubble burst and everything became so deflationary that no one was really moving or selling anything because the next day, everything would be cheaper. The next day, everything would be cheaper because in such a deflationary market, and those are much, those recessionary, deflationary, depressionary markets are much harder to dig yourself out of than massive inflation. Well, we got a comment recently on the YouTube channel, which by the way, if you watch or listen on YouTube, this show is gonna be a week late as we had a strike against our account from a, uh, a video that we created over almost a year ago where we were quoting statistics from <laughs> the VAERS website. And we were also uh, talking about why there were certain sentiments, uh, certain feelings across different nations regarding some of the medical policies that were being put forth. Well, apparently you can't even report on that. Apparently you can't even talk about what people are thinking without that being uh, censored. And why is this? Well, we talked about that last episode in episode 286 with uh, there now being, it's not now, it's not as it's just, it just happened. But in the UN, they had, there's an article of our human rights that are given to us, Article 20.2, which state that actually there's a lot of speech that is restricted. Anything that could be deemed as dangerous or an incitement to hate or violence or incitement to discrimination. And with that is a speech that is an incitement to uh, medical or in, in pandemics. So we had a strike for just accounting and reporting and talking about what people are thinking and why people are thinking it across different nations. But apparently you can't talk about what people's opinions are or aren't because you can only toe the party line. Well, we had a comment on YouTube from, uh, and you can go and read it. It's from, uh, <laughs> the screen name is Illicit Mind. So I think uh, Illicit Mind, if you're listening, if you're watching, Thank you. Thank you for leaving your comment. And I thought instead of responding to you back into the comment section, we would just do it right here on the show. So Illicit Mind, he wrote, and this is record, regarding uh, the episode on abolishing the family and antinatalism, which is the belief that it is morally reprehensible and criminal to procreate. It is criminal to have children. This is what you'll... I'll read and you'll listen to what Illicit Mind says. So it starts with him saying a, a disregarded a point that he made, a question that he made in a comment. And then he says, it seems a lot of times antinatalists who are having to explain their position and clarification, when in fact it should be the natalists who ought to be the ones explaining theirs. Since they are the ones who are essentially engaging in an actual brute action, antinatalism or antinatalists are ultimately doing nothing. So this is this belief that if you do nothing, if you're doing nothing, you can't actually be charged. That's actually not criminal. When actually there's many situations where if you do nothing, you are being held responsible. So non-action is, is actually action. So we'll start there. Uh, and yes, in fact, natalists have been around since 
the beginning of time. And it's something that's biological. We are biologically created to procreate every species, human, non-human. So it's a funny argument to say that natalists, people who choose to have children, need to explain why it is morally right to have children. And yet he's saying those who are having children are committing an, a brute action. It is, anyways, we'll comment on it more. He goes on, antinatalism, he says, is a stance more than anything, especially in particular when it comes, when it's compared to a political means. It is a position a person could hold that inputs a negative ethical value to procreation. Antinatalism at its core seeks to display and point out the lack of ethics to childbirth along with the nature of existence. He says there's no unified goal to the philosophy. As you mentioned, the prominent implication to this philosophy is to encourage others to abstain ethically from procreating. And one could argue a way to go about that is to do so through the political avenue. But that stated example is a suggested connotation, not a focal matter, nor deliberate stated point to antinatalism. So first he says, well, I'm not talking about antinatalism has nothing to do with the political means. We're not actually trying to push something politically. He goes on to say the philosophy is centered around talking to people, let alone talking to people over the internet. So I think he's what he's saying. It's talking to people face-to-face, not talking to people about it over the internet, even though he has a YouTube channel where he talks about it over the internet. He says, it is a one-to-one, person-to-person discourse with others reading and listening. Okay, so he says that we're, we're not trying to have a political movement. This is just ideas that we're pushing. Really, we're not doing anything. We're just asking questions. It's like, you know, it's like the 22-year-old drug dealer going to young middle school and high school students, we're not actually making them take drugs. We're just saying, hey, have you ever tried this? Have you ever thought about trying this? You know, eating healthy and having all your teeth, is that really a good thing? Do you really want all your teeth? You know what, if you take this drug, you could lose your teeth. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, think about it. You could have fun. But, you know, that that drug dealer's not really doing anything. No, the the promotion of a philosophy that is at its core and when it's played out seeks to just like end the human race. I don't see how that is helpful in any way, shape or form. I'll go on. Tell me why you see fault with the core of the philosophy, not a not a theoretically. Let alone. Unlikely subset that the philosophy could give rise to political movement speaking, your comments fail to point out the lack of merit to the actual philosophy in and of itself. And it looks instead of nitpicking a flimsy corner piece to what could actually happen in a probable scenario, which no one is currently pr- prominently promoting anyhow. It's a red herring. So he's saying by looking at what the philosophy actually believes, and you say, okay, well, what happens if? People, by and large, adopt this philosophy. Would it have a good outcome or a bad outcome? Well, it would lead to population collapse quite soon. You think a majority of the population all of a sudden adopts this idea 
that having children is morally reprehensible and it is a brute action. They stop having children. What happens in 60 years when the youngest girls hit menopause and are no longer able to have children? The human race dies. That's what happens. But according to this philosophy, the human race ought to die. The human race in existence of itself ought not to be around. In order for this philosophy to be held, you have to do away with all sorts of uh, anything that's absolute. You have to believe in absolute relativism in order for this philosophy to make sense because there can't be any such thing as biology. There can't be any such thing as uh, morality or even ethics because what the argument is being made is that our very existence is evil. And it's a complete denial of, of God. Truly, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, which I'm sure, uh, illicit mind, if you're still listening, I'm sure you're going to take issue with because you're like, oh, okay, see, yeah, well, you, you're just one of those backwards people who still believe in God. Oh, yeah. So if, if you don't believe in God and you believe in evolution, then absolutely. If you believe that you are just a sack of chemicals and you have no such thing as a soul or a spirit, absolutely. There is every reason for you to be depressed, discouraged, dismayed. There's every reason for, for you to hold this ideology and this philosophy that mankind should not exist. Sure, if that's what you believe. If you don't believe there's any objective meaning or value to life, but it's all just suffering and immoral and brute, then yeah, of course you're going to, that's of course going to be the logical outcome of what you believe. He goes on. Which is, this is, this is my, uh, my favorite part. Any such fault you may see ought to be centered around ethics and empathy, given that those are the core traits that the philosophy seeks to uphold. So his argument is antinatalism is actually more ethical and more empathetic. However, how can you be empathetic if you don't even value the human race? You don't value the human experience. You don't value your children. And you think that you bringing children into the world is immoral? I love my children, but in order for me to love my children, I have to have interaction with them. The thought of not having my children, the the thought that somehow saving them and protecting them from hardships that will surely come in their life is more loving is not true. We are not, we, good parents do not keep their children's children safe. They make their children strong. We all will face adversity and trial and hardship in this life. All of us. But it's through that. It's through working together to overcome our hardships and our trials. Those are the things that makes our lives meaningful. Those are the things that bonds our relationships together. Because you can suffer and not love, but you can't love and not suffer. And love is really what the, the core expression of humanity and of empathy. So if you want to be talk about be em- being empathetic, then you have to love. And if you have to love, you have to be in connection with one another, with people. He goes on. I personally routinely tell people that we are not out to force anyone from stopping childbirth. But, he didn't say but, I interjected that but, we are simply having a discourse just like the, the, the college drug dealer having a discourse with middle school kids. 
or groomers having to discourse, groomer teachers having to discourse with their uh, fourth, fifth graders and coming out to the, uh, the closet to their kids and having conversations about their gender identity. We're not forcing this on anyone. We're just, ha- we're just having a discussion. He says that we're not forcing our views on anyone. In fact, it's people who procreate, who impose and force birth and death onto others. Others that could have never asked for any such burden in the first place. Honestly, I elicit mine. I kind of feel for you because it's clear that maybe you don't have anxiety, but it's clear that you see your life as a burden. You see existence in and of itself as a a torment and a torture. And that is a, a, a very sad place, hopeless place to be in. So I can, I can empathize with you. That's a hopeless place to be in if you feel like your entire life is nothing but suffering. It would be better if you were not born. But there is hope. There is hope. If you believe in a God, if you believe in God. If you don't, then absolutely hopeless. So the, the argument is, giving, is being rate, made right now. That uh, it is people who have babies who are horrible because one, and immoral because they force life onto people, which means they force death onto people. And therefore, natalism is genocide. Because if you're having someone, you're forcing them to be killed. So antinatalism is anti-genocide. Oh, he says, antinatalism does not encourage killing. It is not genocide. On the other hand, natalism, indirectly, is the, is the act that has the ability to condone genocide, kink distinction. Again, what he's saying is, because natalism brings life into this world and then people die, natalism, having a child, is the act of genocide because you're forcing death upon the child that you brought life into. So it's better to just not have life at all. Here's where it gets really amazing. This is where, where he undoes, listen, mind you undo your entire argument about, well, it's just a, a personal choice that someone should make. And, you know, everyone can do what they want. We're just having a discussion. But now all the cards come out. And yet, even still, even if there was a world where antinatalists, antinatalists sought to gain political control to enforce their views directly onto others. And in an important technicality, there would be no fault. I already mentioned how procreation, by default, promotes and inevitably leads to harm, that is death, harm that is unnecessarily imposed. It would be better not to have ever existed. It's the argument. Okay, he goes on. Hence, We are dealing with people that are engaging in an act that is akin, ultimately, akin to a crime. To penalize any such person who desires and is willing to do such a thing follows. For anyone who does not agree, they should initially point to how it is ethical to impose that initial said crime burden onto sentence in the first place. I think what he's trying to say here is. If, if there was the unlikely event, the improbable event that 
there was a political such movement, which did take over a nation. And there was a law that said it is immoral to procreate and bring a life into this world. It is a crime. It is, it is the act of genocide, ultimately a crime, and they should be penalized. That, that, is, the, that, that is the extent. He, he followed the logical occlusion, conclusion, and at least he was consistent with that logical conclusion. And at the end of it, it is anyone who has kids should be punished for having kids. My parents, he's saying, my parents should be criminally charged with having me, which the ironic thing is any judge that's criminally charging another person was brought into this life. It's It's just such a cyclical thing. And what is the result of it? As I said, the result is in 60 years, Goodbye, human race. Goodbye, existence. But in order for for a person to believe this, to hold this value, to hold this thought, you have to do away and have to break from reality. You have to break from biology. You have to break from the real world. You have to adopt postmodernism. It it is the outplay of Darwinianism. It's the outplay of of, of postmodernism, that there is no such thing as truth. There is no such thing as morality. There's no such thing as, as virtue or value in life. And, and more importantly, it stems from the belief that there, there's no such thing as God. Now, if you believe in, a, in God, in a monotheistic God, such as the, what the Jews, the Christians, and the Muslims believe, they all agree that the three main monotheistic faiths all agree on a few on one one specific passage but they all all of them agree on the torah which would be the old testament christianity believes in the torah and the new testament and uh, islam they believe in the torah which is the old testament they believe in the new testament which is for them is called the injil and they believe in the quran so there is uh, there there is varied things in what all three of the monotheistic, Abrahamic monotheistic faiths believe. But one thing that they do all agree on is, and of course someone's going to say, well, actually, so-and-so doesn't agree on this, whatever. You know what I'm saying? They agree on Genesis 1 and the creation story of how we got here. And they all say, no, we didn't come from a marsupial swamp. And actually, if you believe in Darwinian macro, not micro, macro evolution, it is mathematically impossible, mathematically impossible. But let's say you believe in that and you're a Christian. Well, you're adopting all of these ideas, or, or if you believe in a monotheistic God, you're adopting all of these ideas that contradict the very scripts that you believe. So when you deny the existence of God, it is only logical it is only logical when you deny the Holy Scriptures, it is only logical to say that mm, God didn't create man, male, and female, as it says in Genesis 1. God made them male and female, two genders. You throw that out and you can be like, well, there's a million different genders. There's an infinite amount. I can't put a number on it. Biology has nothing, no connection to gender. No, not, not at all. Forget all of the sciences. Forget the science. We're not going to follow the science anymore. It also says in Genesis 1 that God saw that man was and woman was very good. All of creation he calls good and he calls man, 
humankind, mankind, man and woman, very good, and saw that they were very good. The pinnacle of creation, might, might I add, that woman was the last thing created, the pinnacle of creation. So there you have it. Women for the win. Then God also says, be fruitful and multiply. So the first, the first command that humankind, the first commission that humankind has ever given is be fruitful and multiply. Take dominion over the earth. Rule over the earth. Steward the earth. Till the earth. Cause the earth to bring forth produce and growth. Take dominion. But there is a, a worldview that is pervasive and has been per- pervasive for thousands of years, I'm sure. That mankind is nothing special, is nothing different. We are, are nothing but mammals. And we are the, the, the bane of nature and society. And it would be better if man was not here. Yeah, that makes sense. In a post-truth society where we've exchanged truth for lies and reason for postmodern irrationality, the absurd finally makes sense. Well, Disney, if you remember, I believe it was back in episode 279, 276, we talked about how Disney, again, is showing their cards on the, the ideology, the belief system that they are, are pushing forward. And we're going to play a clip from that previous episode. But this week, the UAE and a number of other countries, nearly 20 other countries, had decided to ban Pixar's new film, Lightyear. Why? Well, because of a same-sex kissing scene. That's right, a same-sex kissing scene, in which, in which we see a, uh, a two females, lesbian couple, holding a child and they are about to share a kiss. But Buzz Lightyear is not going to be showing in these theaters across the Middle East because they're saying there is no way that we are allowing and that we are going to expose our children to a lesbian kiss. We're not going to expose five-year-olds to a lesbian kiss in the theaters. We're not going to let you indoctrinate our children with these immoral ideologies and worldviews. Well, people are, are so shocked, so shocked that, uh, that someone would actually stand up to them. But Disney, they don't care. They're pushing forward with their agenda. This is what Disney had to say a, a few weeks ago in a leaked a leaked meeting where a Disney exec shares how she is planning to push and push and push their agenda even further and that they're not going to stand down. They're not going to back up. Here's a clip. It's a little long, but it is definitely worth listening to the whole thing. I'm I'm here as a mother of of two queer children, actually, Um, uh, one transgender child. um, and one pansexual child. The, the statistics of that, if it was just, it just happens to, it just happens to some people, the statistics of, of that, in my mind, it shows that this is something that is being 
taught to kids. This is something that is being told to kids. This is something that is being encouraged, that something happens, an event happens, your, your little boy puts on mom's high heels one day, and it's, oh, he's actually a girl born in the wrong body. A little girl plays with trucks one day, and next thing you know, you're calling Susie Bobby. It's, it is something that is being pushed onto kids. And Disney wants to push it onto your kids, she continues. Um, and, and also as a leader. Um, and that was the thing that really got me because I have heard so much from so many of my colleagues over the course of the last couple of weeks um, in open forums and through emails and phone conversations. And um, I feel a responsibility to speak um, not just for myself, but for them. Um, to all of us, we we had a we had an open forum last week at twentieth, where um, again the home of of really incredible groundbreaking LGBTQIA stories over the years, where um, one of our execs stood up and said, "You know, we only have a handful of queer leads in our content." And I went, "What? I, that can't be true." And I and I and I realized, oh. It, it actually is true. We have many, many, many LGBTQIA characters in our stories, and 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 yet we don't have enough leads. Um, and there, here here is a confession already that in their past content they've been explicit and intentional to put indoctr indoctrinating propaganda into their content of LGBTQI LMNOP plus characters into their shows. And here she's saying, you know what? I realize we need to push the envelope on this a little bit more. And that's what they did with Buzz Lightyear. There's about uh, 45 seconds left in this clip. In which gay characters just, just get to be characters um, and, and not have to be about gay stories. And so um, that's been very eye-opening for me. Um, and, and I, I can tell you, um, it's something that I feel perhaps had this moment not happened. Um, I, as a leader and me, as my colleagues would not have focused on and, and going forward, um, I, I certainly will be more so I know that we will be. And, um, and I hope this is a moment where shoot, um, the 50% of the tears, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> are coming. Um, uh, we don't, we just don't allow each other to go backwards. We don't allow each other to go backwards. We, we have come to a moment, as this exec says, we have come to a moment where we realize we need to be doing more. We need to be pushing the envelope more. And what is the result? The result is Buzz Lightyear. Buzz Lightyear now having overt messaging. Not, it's not even messaging, just overt signaling to children. It is one thing for you as a, a producer to create shows for your adult audiences that promote your, your, your LGBTQ agenda. You can, you can do that content for your adults. That's fine. But it's, it's something else when you are actively seeking to promote Degenerate behavior, and it is that degenerate behavior among children. It is to promote unhealthy patterns that are against 
biological norms f- for hundreds of thousands of years, let alone, let alone the moral stances that the majority of the world believes in. Majority. But it is not enough. Well, Dubai, alhamdulillah, praise God, Dubai strikes back. And uh, according to the most reputable Instagram account, Dubai Problems, the Middle East claps back with Buzz Lightyear remake, Badr Lightyear, to infinity, inshallah. And it is uh, Buzz Lightyear in an Arab remake. I'm looking forward to seeing this film, Badr Lightyear. It's going to be a, a bestseller. Um, uh, I think that Buzz might be a, uh, or Badr might be, instead of a space ranger, he's might, maybe he's like a Bedou farmer who gets accepted into the UAE's uh, Mars program and goes to Mars. We'll, we'll have to see, inshallah, this is going to be a, a total blockbuster. Can't wait for this movie and 100% guaranteed there's not going to be the LGBT indoctrination of your kids in this film. Well, this show is brought to you by listeners like you. I want to thank each and every one of you who support this show on a monthly, weekly basis. Uh, We would not be able to be here and do this without you. So thank you. If you get value out of the show, consider giving value back to the show. And you can do so by visiting lucasgrobot.com backslash support. And you can give value to the show and the value that you feel like you get out of it, whatever dollar price point that might be. As you can tell, we don't have commercial breaks on the show because this is funded and supported by viewers like you. Well, don't go away. We will be right back with our closing Weaver and Loom segment. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, a part of the show where we take ancient wisdom and we weave it in with our everyday lives so that we can own our future and weave our destiny. Well, today is a a quote, passage, and a little bit of a story that I think, uh, well, it's, it's been in my mind for the last number of weeks, and I think it will be challenging and encouraging to you. And the, the, we'll read the, the quote first, and then we'll tell the backstory. Here's the quote. The quote is uh, actually a, a scripture verse from the Old Testament, Joshua. And it says, this is God speaking to Joshua. It says, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So here's a command that Joshua is getting from God. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Instead, be strong and courageous. Now, here's the backstory. If you, if you remember back to back in the way back in your life, if you were ever in Sunday school or if you ever watched one of those Moses movies, you know that the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. They get out of slavery through a series of miraculous events, 10 plagues that strike Egypt, and Moses leads the Israelites, millions of them, through the Red Sea, and they wander around the, the Sinai Peninsula, the, uh, the uh, Arab Peninsula, for 40 years. It was supposed to be 40 days, turns out to be 40 years. 
Moses, at the, the end of his life, 120 years old, he dies. He's not able to go into the promised land. And Joshua is one of the only ones who was actually in Egypt and survived through the whole 40 years in the wilderness and is going into the promised land. He has a lot to be afraid of. There are giants in the land. There's, there's wild beasts in the land. When he goes into the land, it's not just given to him. He has to fight. He has to fight against fortified cities and giants, people who are trained in war, who have fortified uh, barracks and barricades and fortresses. It's a, it's a rough task. It's a tall task. He's trying to lead a people who don't really want to be led. He has a lot of problems leading millions of people who don't want to be led, who are stiff-necked, and he has to lead them all wandering sojourners into war, into war, with no real reserves to pull on. There is every reason for him to be frightened, for him to be dismayed, for him to be worried, to him to be discouraged, for him to wonder, what am I even doing with my life? Is this, I should just, I should just go take my goat somewhere and find a little oasis and uh, enjoy my life. What, what am I even doing? Why am I even? Why am I doing this? I shouldn't be leading these people. No way. They're crazy. It's not worth the headache. Not worth the headache. But he gets a command. And that command is be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. I, however, I can often find myself dismayed. I can find myself in worry. I can find myself discouraged. But if, I, but if I'm discouraged, that means I'm actually in disobedience. If I'm discouraged, that means I'm actually not living the reality that I ought to live. If I'm not in gratitude and thanksgiving and in hope and in belief that I am missing out on, on the real reality that I'm called to live to. Often, in, we, we like to embrace our emotions of discouragement. We like to feel those feelings of, when we feel discouraged, I want to crawl into bed and feel discouraged and, and, and feel the sense of doom that things are not going to work out my way. But in reality, that, that really is missing the mark. That is falling short of the experience that we ought to live. If you, if you believe in, in the fact that you were created by God. But if you are, if you're a Darwinist, you don't believe in, in God, you don't believe that that whole thing exists, then of course, just adopt antinatalism and uh, live in dismay and discouragement and despair. That you're welcome to. But for those of us who believe in a, in a monotheistic God, we are commanded it is, it is a command to rejoice always. It is a command to be thankful always. It is a command to not be discouraged. Because if we are discouraged, it means that we are putting our trust and our belief in bad news. We're putting our trust and belief in what we can see with our eyes, rather what we can see with our heart, rather with the promises that we know stand true for both you and I. And when we believe in the promises, when we believe in what is 
in what is to come is for our good and that we will not be abandoned. That gives us courage and strength to press forward and not shrink back. And it is that courage that is needed in this day and age. When we look at the stock markets, we look at inflation, we look at the, the, the propagating of, of ideologies, which are at its core targeting our children and are, are, are against, are, are destructive. I mean, you look at, you look at the, the number of, uh, of suicide amongst transgender kids. It's through the roof. And yet that is being pushed. That is being pushed on children. So there's a lot to be discouraged about. There's a lot to be dismayed about. However, you could be someone, and I strive to be someone. I'm not always that person, but I strive to be someone who takes courage, who does not give in to despair, and believes that maybe I won't see it today. But we're building something. We're building something that a generation from now or generations from now will have a blessing will have a blessing on thousands and thousands of people's lives. And I believe that for your life as well. Well, thank you for listening to the show. If you have any questions, please WhatsApp me at plus one, two, zero, two, nine, two, two, zero, two, two, zero. And I will answer them right here on the show, just as we took a huge segment to respond to illicit mind today and his, uh, his antinatalism um, ideas of how you know what? Really, people who have babies, they really should be criminally charged. Uh, that is all. Go out this week. Go out this week and be filled with hope and faith in spite of what you see the stock market doing, in spite of what you see Disney doing, in spite what you might fear. Don't give in to fear. Instead, be courageous and go and own your future.